Section 12 of Captain Cook by Walter Besant. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 8 The Second Voyage, Part 1. One opens the account of the second voyage with relief and hope. We have done with Dr. Hawksworth. It is true that we have Dr. Douglas in his place, but the second editor declares solemnly that he has given the very words of the writer without alteration. This is substantially true. There may be omissions, but the language is never altered, nor shall we find inserted any of the judicious observations. If anywhere we shall find the man himself in this journal, we shall hear his voice and look into his face and read his mind. Certainly Cook was not brought up in a school which encourages personal confidences in bits of autobiography. We must not expect too much, but we are all human, and except in a royal engineer's report, which is written in the third person, a man may discover himself, even in a ship's journal or a log-book. One may even discern the character of a clergyman from his manner of keeping a parish register. When one reads this narrative, it is truly wonderful to understand how any one would have thought of improving Cook's style by subjecting it to the handling of Dr. Hawksworth. What have balanced periods, turgid ornaments, and becoming sentiments to do with Cook's plain unvarnished narrative? Simplicity and directness never go out of fashion. We read a book of travels to learn what was observed and discovered, not to linger over the sentences caught by the charm of the words or dwelling on the music of a phrase nay to the charm of literary style the greater part of the world will always remain blind and deaf they read for what is told not for the way in which it is told they want the story the skilful artist may so employ his charm of language as to make the manner seem part and parcel of the matter but the story the story is everything in such a story as cook had to tell the greatest simplicity and the most perfect directness are the most effective and the most desirable qualities the reader should have no other thought than to learn what he saw and whither he sailed cook's own journal then is here presented in his own words he says simply in his introduction and now it may be necessary to say that as i am on the point of sailing on a third expedition i leave this account of my last voyage in the hands of some friends who in my absence have kindly accepted the office of correcting the press for me who are pleased to think that what i have here to relate is better to be given in my own words than in the words of another person especially as it is a work designed for information and not merely for amusement in which it is their opinion that candour and fidelity will counterbalance the want of ornament i shall therefore conclude this introductory discourse with desiring the reader to excuse the inaccuracies of style which doubtless he will frequently meet with in the following narrative and that when such occur he will recollect that it is the production of a man who has not had the advantage of much school education but who has been constantly at sea from his youth and though with the assistance of a few good friends he has passed through all the stations belonging to a seaman from an apprentice in the coal trade to a post-captain in the royal navy he has had no opportunity of cultivating letters after this account of myself the public must not expect from me the elegance of a fine writer or the plausibility of a professed bookmaker but will i hope consider me as a plain man 
zealously exerting myself in the service of his country and determined to give the best account he is able of his proceedings these words are straightforward modest and manly the writer is not ashamed of having risen from the lowest position possible on a ship on the other hand he is prepared to maintain his own ability to set down what he has seen as plainly as if he had had as many opportunities of cultivating letters as the great man who was appointed to revise his simple and direct account besides cook's own account we have to illustrate this voyage a description written by george forster younger of the two german naturalists who accompanied the expedition certain observations by the elder forster and the scientific results detailed by wallace and bailey the two astronomers forster's book which appeared in seventeen seventy seven was regarded as a breach of confidence his father to whom he was assistant was sent out as naturalist with general instructions to make observations of every kind he also seems to have thought that he would be called upon to write the history of the voyage to succeed the great hawksworth on his return he still imagined that he would be expected to do this and actually began it but found that the captain's journal was to be kept separate from his own lord sandwich however undertook to present cook and forster with the plates engraved at the expense of the admiralty of all the drawings and maps made during the voyage to accompany the journals and forster was informed that he would not be called upon to write the history of the voyage at all but to send in his observations as they were unless he agreed to do this he would forfeit any share in the profits of the work here the son saw his chance he was not bound he said by any agreement which his father had made he therefore wrote his own account of the voyage and on the whole though somewhat flowery and exaggerated it is a very good book indeed the government and captain cook unfortunately took a different view of his obligation and it is said expressed these views so strongly that the two forsters found that no further appointments would be offered them and retired to their native country where i know not what became of them the father is said to have been of a turbulent temper the son grumbled throughout the voyage at the loss of his little comforts but cook has no word of complaint against either of them nor have they any other charge against the captain than that he would persevere with the work before him though it made his people more uncomfortable every day two ships were chosen and fitted out for this expedition both of them were built at whitby on much the same lines as the endeavour they were at the time about fourteen or sixteen months old one of them the resolution was of four hundred and sixty-two tons burden the other the adventure of three hundred and thirty-six tons the former was fitted out at deptford the latter at woolwich the resolution carried a company of one hundred and twelve men the adventure eighty-one each ship was provisioned for two years and a half we have seen how mindful of his late disasters cook carried with him a great quantity of antiscorbutics the frame of a small vessel of twenty tons was put on board each ship to be put together and to serve as tenders on any emergency such as shipwreck both ships were provided with a quantity of things such as the natives would like for presents or trade a number of medals were struck on one side the king's head and on the other the two ships warm clothing was laid in the scientific branch of the expedition was provided for first 
by placing an astronomer provided by the board of longitude with proper instruments in each ship mr wallace was on the resolution and mr bailey on the adventure footnote the following is a list of the instruments supplied it may be curious to compare it with such as would now be supplied a portable observatory two astronomical clocks a transit instrument an astronomical quadrant a reflecting telescope of two feet focal length an achromatic refracting telescope of three and a half feet two hadley sextants an azimuth compass a pair of globes a dipping needle a marine barometer a wind gauge two portable barometers six thermometers a theodolite with a level and a chain an apparatus for testing the heat of the sea-water at different depths four timekeepers End footnote. mr william hodges a landscape painter was engaged to make drawings and paintings of places and people and the two germans john reinhold forster and his son george forster already spoken of were engaged as skilful in natural history as regards the ship's company the second and third lieutenants the lieutenant of marines two of the warrant officers and several of the petty officers on the resolution had sailed with cook on the endeavour that so many were ready to go with him again shows the confidence they placed in him as well as his power of attracting the affection of his subordinates the captain of the adventure tobias fourneau had been wallace's first lieutenant on july thirteenth the ship sailed from plymouth sound my instructions were to make the best of my way to the island of madeira there to take in a supply of wine and then proceed to the cape of good hope where i was to refresh the ship's companies and to take on board such provisions and necessaries as i might stand in need of after leaving the cape of good hope i was to proceed to the southward and endeavour to fall in with cape circumcision which was said by m bouvet to lie in latitude fifty-four degrees south and in about eleven degrees twenty minutes east longitude from greenwich if i discovered this cape i was to satisfy myself whether it was part of the continent which had so long engaged the attention of geographers and former navigators or a part of an island if it proved to be the former i was to employ myself diligently in exploring as great an extent of it as i could and to make such notations thereon and observations of every kind as might be useful either to navigation or commerce or tend to the promotion of natural knowledge i was also directed to observe the genius temper disposition and number of the inhabitants if there were any and endeavour by all possible means to cultivate a friendship and alliance with them making them presents of such things as they might value inviting them to traffic and showing them every kind of civility and regard i was to continue to employ myself on this service and making discoveries either eastward or westward as my situation might render most eligible keeping in as high a latitude as i could and prosecuting my discoveries as near to the south pole as possible so long as the condition of the ships the health of their crews and the state of their provisions would admit of taking care to reserve as much of the latter as would enable me to reach some known port where i could procure a sufficiency to bring me home to england but if cape circumcision should prove to be part of an island only or if i should not be able to find the said cape i was in the first case to make the necessary survey of the island 
and then to stand on to the southward as long as i judged there was a likelihood of falling in with the continent which i was also to do in the latter case and then to proceed to the eastward in further search of the said continent as well as to make discoveries of such islands as might be situated in that unexplored part of the southern hemisphere keeping in high latitudes and prosecuting my discoveries as above mentioned as near the pole as possible until i had circumnavigated the globe after which i was to proceed to the cape of good hope and from thence to spithead in the prosecution of these discoveries wherever the season of the year rendered it unsafe for me to continue in high latitudes i was to retire to some known place to the northward to refresh my people and refit the ships and to return again to the southward as soon as the season of the year would admit of it in all unforeseen cases i was authorized to proceed according to my own discretion and in case the resolution should be lost or disabled i was to prosecute the voyage on board the adventure there is shown at the museum of whitby besides the boat yoke used by cook a so-called model of the resolution she is a stout vessel three-masted broad in the beam and built for strength before speed one understands only by looking at her how the ship took one hundred and nine days to get from plymouth to table bay on this voyage and ninety-nine days on the next her figurehead is a black savage with a spear and shield she has no bulwarks but this detail is clearly wrong a strong timber railing runs round her leaving her totally unprotected from the breaking of seas over her which therefore would sweep her clean as they now do on the atlantic steamers there is no waist and no high stern her upper deck is nearly flush the quarter-deck being raised about a foot there are no cabins or rooms on the upper deck and there is no kind of protection for the sailors so that in rough weather no one except the watch would be able to go on deck at all a hatchway forward and another aft lead down to the main deck on which were placed and worked the twenty-six guns for which she was pierced it appears however that the model is inaccurate because the resolution carried no more than twelve and was only pierced for sixteen on the main deck also must have been the workshops as well as the mess tables the officers cabins and the captain's room perhaps the men slung their hammocks here as well the masts if the model is faithful were thick and stout and so were the yards one thinks of the company on board this little vessel one hundred and twelve men all cooped up in this narrow space for a three years voyage there were besides livestock on board in great numbers to be landed on the islands bulls cows rams ewes goats fowls great indeed was the courage of our grandfathers smollett has shown us how they lived down below in the darkness and stench without too much grumbling but roderick random's ship was not provisioned for two years nor did it carry bulls and cows and sheep and goats any one who has ever seen a cattle-boat will appreciate the power of these innocent creatures to create for the sailors a special kind of misery perhaps in warm soft climates when the ports were open and the trade breeze blew gratefully through and through the ship the men's quarters were fresh and sweet but when she was plying painfully among the ice-fields of the southern sea when the ports were closed and the icy breath of the south drove the men below 
when the sails were sheets of frozen canvas and every rope was covered with a thin sheathing of ice then but the crews were accustomed to discomfort it was only the landsmen on board who made complaint we will follow this voyage with the help of mr george forster's book rather than that of the captain's journal which everybody has read it is a book in which we hear something of the daily talk among the passengers if not among the crew there are details in it which are below the dignity of the captain's journals we see how those on board liked it who had no enthusiasm for the great southern continent july thirteenth seventeen seventy two sailed from plymouth sound touched at port praia in the island of st Tago. october thirtieth to november twenty second table bay here herr sparman botanist and pupil of the great linnae joined the expedition on leaving the cape the men were served out jackets and trousers of stout flannel called fearnaught orders were given not to waste the water and everybody had to wash in salt water forster also mentions the discomfort caused by the rough weather which they got here for the first time on december tenth they sighted the ice they were now in the longitude assigned by bouvet to the headland which he claimed to have seen and named cape circumcision but their latitude was ninety-five miles south of his so that if they sailed over the land south of that cape it could not very well belong to a continent this in fact they afterwards did for six weeks the ships sailed among icebergs getting south whenever an opening appeared two or three cases of scurvy were declared and cured by copious doses of fresh wort the crews also took sauerkraut every day and had portable broth christmas day was spent forster tells us with the usual cheerfulness by the officers and passengers and by the sailors with savage noise and drunkenness to which they seem to have particularly devoted the day the naturalist was greatly affected by the situation in which he found himself he speaks of the gloomy uniformity with which we slowly passed dull hours days and months in this desolate part of the world we were almost perpetually wrapped in thick fogs beaten with showers of rain sleet hail and snow surrounded by innumerable islands of ice against which we daily ran the risk of being shipwrecked and forced to live upon salt provisions which concurred with the cold and wet to infect the mass of our blood End of section twelve